Aguinaldo! This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Getting, Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> All right, here we go. It is Brock and Salk on Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com, and the Seattle Sports app, plus all those podcast platforms, wherever you may find them. We're there, I promise. In fact, I used one this week. I won't tell you which one because I don't want to... I don't want to choose favorites. I want to. I want to let you kind of go to whatever platform makes you happiest. But I was on one. I don't want to bias you in any way. I know there's a lot. I know some people want to go to different directions for their podcasts, and that's just not fair. I mean, you know, we're not in in league with any of them. The actual platform, not the content of which you listen to. No, I'm very biased on that. You yeah, should listen to this and nothing else. You should right. listen to all four hours every day, unless we have yep. a bonus hour like we did uh, on Tuesday, and then you should listen to that also. Agreed. Yeah, So or Wednesday. What day was that? I don't know, man. I'm out on days for this week. More and I were just saying, today somehow isn't Friday, which is incredibly confusing. Feels like Friday. I don't know what's going on. Uh, our show is a little up in the air today with a lot of different things, moving parts. Um, we do know Jerry Depoto will be with us. And amazingly, uh, they didn't lose yesterday. In fact, I texted Jerry yesterday and said, hey, just are you in for tomorrow? Because I wanted to make sure that he wasn't on vacation with the, you know, the the break. And he said, yeah, we didn't we didn't lose last night. So I'm in. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I'm betraying the his streak. confidence there. Yeah, exactly. So Jerry uh, will join us at 8.30. That we know. Stacy Ross will be on the show a little bit later as well. I'm hoping in a half hour to talk to Don Van Natta. Um, so Don Van Natta, ESPN investigative journalist, he and Seth Wickersham have a really interesting report out that I would absolutely recommend if you have a spare hour and a half this morning. Uh, it's long. Very detailed. It'll take you a while. And I recommend not having a nine-year-old asking you incessant questions while you're trying to read it. You'll focus on it much better than I did yesterday as I was trying to read it. But um, it's really good. It's really interesting. It's all about Dan Snyder and John Gruden and Roger Goodell and Jay-Z and Jay-Z's top person and Jeff Pash, who's Goodell's, you know, right hand man. And dude, it is it is a nutty, nutty story. It really would make you think if you've watched either the show Billions or um, what's the other one? I'm thinking House of Lies. Car? House of Lies. House of Lies. Okay. Not not the not the Kevin Spacey deal. House of Lies with um with Don Cheadle and it's so good. They're uh, they're like consultants or something like that. It's on Showtime. They're both oh, Showtime Bell. shows. Yeah, Kristen yeah. Bell, Don Cheadle. It's really good, by the way. Both of those shows are excellent. Two of my favorite shows of the last decade or so. Anyway, um, it really will make you feel as if the things that go on in those shows are truly what happens in the real world and especially in the NFL world. With all of the important you know, business people and all of the money that they have and all of the competition that they have with each other and all the lousy things they do that they need to cover up or blackmail people in order to cover up. It really is just a horrifying picture of what's going on at the top. 
And uh, I reached out to Wickersham because he's a friend and he's come on the show before in the past. And uh, he was on a flight today. So we may have Don Van Nata, who's in Germany. I don't know. It's a little it's a little up in the air. We may not have anybody, in which case I'll talk to you guys a little bit about it at 630. Okay. And then uh, I got some other sound to play. you. So I just want I want everyone to be prepared to uh, expect anything today. It could just be that kind of a Thursday. Um, I thought I'd start today, though, with uh, with the ESPYs. Do people still watch the ESPYs? I do. I love them. I love the ESPYs every year. It's always been, I wouldn't say mandatory viewing. Like if I've got something going on, obviously, you know, I'm I'm not like setting the DVR and making sure that I get to it. But I've always really liked the ESPYs. And you kind of go back to all the people that have hosted it over the years. And, you know, Norm MacDonald famously roasting people when he did it. Um, One of my favorites was Seth Meyers when he hosted that year. I thought he was tremendous. Um, I got to go to the ESPYs a few years ago, which was a really cool, unique experience. Um, I recommend it if you ever have the ability to do so through our uh, ESPN connection. Uh, we went one year and um, God, it was just it was a really cool experience. So at the beginning, you get down there and you dress nicely like I had a black suit and, you know, kind of a interesting tie or whatever and you know you kind of get down there it's in la it's at la live by staples center so it's it's hot nice out right it's july in la as you can imagine and uh they tell you you're gonna walk the red carpet they're like okay like wow this is gonna be big camera ready yeah so like have you ever walked a red carpet Mm, yeah but it was nothing okay well so they tell you you're gonna walk the red carpet and you get down to the event and you start walking over and every you see people all around. It's beautiful. It's sunny, right? It's the afternoon. And you realize there are two red carpets. <laughs> two red carpets. There's that makes sense. The A-list carpet. A red carpet for famous people. <laughs> yeah. And a red carpet for you. Like, so you can still get your picture taken, but no one's going to post it anywhere. <laughs> and at first, you're kind of bummed out about that, right? Because you're like, oh, I kind of thought that I was going to be on the red carpet and that this was going to be a whole scene. And, you know, you sort of felt important, right? Have you ever been to a, uh, to like gotten a, a VIP invite and you think it's going to be really important people that are there? You're like, man, I really got the, 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 the primo invite. And then you get there and you're like, oh, this is all the same people I see everywhere. There's actually some VIP VIP party that you weren't really invited to because that's, you know, what makes sense in the world. Anyway, yep, yep. that's how it feels. And then you start walking down the red carpet and taking pictures and you realize, thank God. You are not on the real red carpet because it would be horribly embarrassing, right? You got all this paparazzi type folks who are there and they want to take pictures of famous people. And you, if you were to walk by, you would just feel sort of dumb because you can see their red carpet from your red carpet. You're sort of behind yeah. their red carpet. Yeah. Anyway, it was a really, really fun experience and I'm glad just I did it. Guys sitting on milk crates and like, hey. Smoke cigarettes. Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, sort of that type of a thing, man. It was it was a really, really good time, and uh, I'm, I'm really glad I got to do Who it. Who hosted it when you were there? When you went? Tracy Morgan. Oh, fun. Okay. Which was fun, yeah. and, uh, you know, we're sitting there with Drew Brees. It's like two seats away. Like, it was cool. It really was uh, an awesome experience, and then just seeing all the people afterwards, two chains performed afterwards at the after party and stuff. It was fun. It's a really cool deal. 
I thought last night was really good again. Pat McAfee did a really good job. Uh, if you didn't hear him, I mean, DeMar Hamlin was sort of the story of the night, I thought, um, as he gave the uh, the award to uh, to the training staff that has saved his life. McAfee was talking about him during the, uh, during the uh, opening monologue. As Joe Buck and Troy Aikman were trying to navigate the waters, and we all at home feared for the absolute worst. And Skip Bayless was like, get that dead body off the field. We got playoff implications on the line. He said it. The tweet's still up. Hashtag delete the tweet, Skip. Come on. But as we watched on, we saw something that we could have never expected. Denny Kellington and the Buffalo Bills training staff, the EMTs, the doctors at the hospital, the teammates, and the will to survive by DeMar Hamlin has him here tonight, here at all, and back playing football, running faster than he's ever run before. Absolute dog. That was pretty funny. Anyway, um, yeah, he did a pretty good job. Nice nice, uh, work. He was sweating up there, man. And he's a fill-in. Was he? Yeah. Oh, who was it supposed to be? It's Kevin Hart, yeah, it's but he's a, Kevin Hart. He's signing with the writers for the writers. Oh, writers. oh so he didn't want to cross picket lines. Man, yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, he did a good job. It was a cool experience to watch, and uh, you know, we'll go through a little something. You, generally, the ESPYs will make you laugh and bring a tear to your eyes. So I thought they accomplished all of that last night, and we'll dig into that along with a whole bunch of other stuff and everything you need to know next. Hopefully, Don Vanata at six thirty. Otherwise, I promise something else will be cool. I think. We'll see. It's Brock and Salk. Sales Sports on 710. com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. An epic all-star week in Seattle. Unfortunately, not as many people around the country got a chance to see it. The ratings are out. Kind of a mixed bag. We'll start with the bad news. It was the lowest rated all-star game in history. About 7.1 million people tuned in nationwide, down just slightly from last year. So, obviously, that's not a great start. All that being said, for all the talk about baseball losing the younger generation, the demo that was up, that was 18 to 49. The younger gener- you know, the younger demo, the first time that that demographics number has risen in nine years. So it's a little funky trying to figure out exactly what that means. Also, it's worth noting, baseball does still have the most watched all-star game in sports, despite some of the declining viewership. About 7 million people, as we said yesterday. The NFL, 6.3 million in their last all-star game or Pro Bowl. NBA, 4.6. The NHL at 1.5. So for all of the talk of its death, it still has a long way to go in order to die. By the way. The top city. Anybody want to guess what the top city was in terms of viewership? That's right. It was right here in little old Seattle. Did better than an 8.4 rating here, which is ahead of Atlanta, Baltimore, Cincy, and Philly, which round out the top five. It's surprising. I would have guessed Texas would be on that list, right? They had five starters. No? They don't care? No, I guess they don't. What, what, L.A.? No? No L.A.? All the starters. Surprising. Tampa. I thought we would have seen that. No, none of those markets. Maybe show that list to Shohei. Maybe he'd be uh, interested in some of those numbers. By the way, baseball trying to continue to grow that game internationally. A world tour continues in 2024. Four more international destinations. London again. Mexico City again. Santa Domingo, which is cool. And for the first time ever, Seoul, South Korea. I would really like to go there. I don't have any good reason why, but I've always just sort of wanted to go there. 
It seems like a really cool city. Anyway, uh, so let's see. 2024 regular season. We'll have all four of those destinations. First time, as we said, in Seoul. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, one more day off today. Then the Mariners begin a second half. that will start with a little sprint to the trade deadline. Minnesota, Detroit, Toronto constituting a 10-game homestand. Just what tired Mariners game staff need here after the All-Star break and exactly how little of a break they had. Anyway, at the end of those 10 games, we'll be about a week away from the trade deadline. How can they improve? John Morosi has some thoughts. Do not be surprised if he buys and sells, meaning... He flips Teoscar, maybe gets some more pitching back, and then packages some stuff together and gets a younger bat and then gets gets a younger arm. He could do both. Uh, that, that to me, is is one thing to watch. Obviously, Teoscar's been playing well, so I, I don't, I, I'm not meaning to say that he's quote-unquote available, but, but Jerry has some options here. And believe me when I tell you, I've talked to people around the industry, a lot of GMs would love to have the hand that Jerry DePoto is sitting with right now at the poker table. They would love it because he has got exactly what everybody wants. Yeah, he has all the controllable young pitching. That is the key, and that's what's missing around baseball. He's got it. So how will he choose to use it, especially in a year where they are trying to compete? They're not where they want to be. They do need help offensively. But some of their better years may be in front of them as opposed to this year. It's a complicated situation. And obviously, we will talk to Jerry about it coming up at 830 this morning. In the meantime, where do you improve? Well, second base, obviously. DH, a possibility. They could use a different fourth outfielder and maybe some help for Kelnick in left field. You're probably going to want a starting pitcher. Those would be sort of your identified needs. The real question for me is whether they choose to upgrade any of the solid positions, quote-unquote, that are actually struggling this year. Will they upgrade first base? Will they upgrade third base? Would they upgrade a catcher? I mean, those are three positions you went into the season believing we've got our guy. And now, you know, as you look at it at the All-Star break, all three positions have underperformed your expectation. Those, to me, are the really interesting questions for the Mariners as they get ready for the trade deadline here in a little over two weeks. As we said, get going tomorrow night. Luis Castillo will get the ball right out of the break. Here's the third thing you need to know. ESPYs last night, always worth the time, at least for me. The awards are fun. The highlight, though, it always seems to be something meaningful, something that will bring a tear to your eye. And uh, last year, that was very, very, or last night, rather, very obvious. Damar Hamlin awarding the Pat Tillman Award to ser- for service to the training staff that saved his life. Please welcome this year's recipient of the Pat Tillman Award for service. The training staff of the Buffalo Bills. He was in tears. Couldn't really even get through the package. And then when he brought those guys up there, he was just crying. And they were hugging on him and loving him. It was pretty great. And, yeah, I got a little... A little misty in the uh, in the Salk living room yesterday as I was watching that really really cool thing to see him award it to uh, to that group of men and women. Patrick Mahomes won best male athlete. Michaela Schifrin won best female athlete. Did you see her speech? It was really good. 
she kind of blew me away. I don't know that I've ever heard her talk before. I, I know she's a skier. I know who she is, but I don't know that I've ever heard her speak. She gave a really good speech, actually. If we have some time, maybe we can try to find that for a later need to know. Jamal Murray was comeback player of the year uh, after being with the Nuggets after tearing his ACL. Liam Hendricks got the Jimmy V Award, White Sox closer who uh, returned from cancer. Uh, Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. That's always emotional, especially because of the Jimmy V situation. And with Dick Vitale announcing yesterday that he has cancer for the third time, and he promised to beat it as well. That is everything you need to know. We do that quarter past every hour. Uh, Sue Bird was out there yesterday. She spoke for a few minutes. That was really great. Uh, the U.S. women's national team, uh, soccer team, came out and honored all of their teams over the of the previous teams of theirs over the years, which was really cool. Um, even kind of talking through their struggle to you know be paid the right amount of money and all that stuff. So it was um, it was a really cool event. It always it always seems to be there. Always seems to be something. You know, LeBron. Dwayne Wade, Carmelo, like there are just a lot of kind of interesting folks that are always in and around that event. So I think I watch it every year. And then this year, all of my bandwidth was taken up by All-Star Week. No kidding. I completely had forgotten about this ever happened. Well, and it's funky because it's on ABC and that's not a place that I mean, I got to tell you. Maybe you guys are different from me, but as somebody who watches essentially zero reality television, it never dawns on me to go to the networks during the week. It just doesn't even dawn on me. Mm-hmm. Like, I just know that whatever they have on, I don't want to watch. I don't want to watch, you know, pop singers performing, you know, who you haven't made it yet. Yeah, you Let's watch The Masked Singer. I do watch The Masked Singer with the kids, but we watch it on Hulu. <laughs> ah, yes. That's the other part is that I watch everything mostly on right. demand. I mean, or I watch all that later. on demand. But I, I like other than The Masked Singer, which I do watch with the kids, I will say that. I don't watch X Factor or American Idol or The Bachelor, whatever other garbage is going on. I just don't watch any of it. So, you know, my TV watching during the week is pretty much Root Sports, the Golf Channel, and ESPN. Yeah. Like that that's the only places I would even click through in order to kind of see what they've got. So yeah, I kinda had to remind myself to find ABC in the middle of a week. And uh when I did, I was rewarded. I thought it was really good. It was uh as entertaining as always. Anyway, all right. Uh I have not yet heard from Don Van Nata. So it doesn't seem likely that we're going to talk with him about this uh piece that he wrote or co wrote well, I mean, with Seth Wickersham. There may be a time issue. I'm gonna yeah. guess that like because I wrote it in Eastern Time, thinking that he would be on Eastern Time, not knowing he was in Germany. And well, in Germany, they're nine at nine, they're nine ahead of ahead. us. Okay, so it's middle of the day there, right? So he seemed to understand, huh. but you know, All right. eh, we'll see. I can, yeah, you know, cut some Let's that. assume we're not going to have Don Vanata. I will give you just a little bit of of what's going on with that story, and then um, I've got something that I gotta say has to be good news. If you're a Mariner fan or even just a Seattle sports fan. So see if we can run through those things together next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com. This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Well, as soon as I said that we weren't going to have Don Van Natta, I heard from Don Van Natta. It's like right on cue. I, I swear to God. Just manifested like, it. Just seems to be the way the world works. Or the yeah, I manifested it by saying it wasn't going to happen. Anyway, he's going to join us here in just a moment. And I'll just try to set the stage here, right? I mean, there's a really big piece at ESPN. I absolutely recommend it. It's long. It'll take you a little bit of time. 
but I think it's really, really worth it. Don Van Natta is an investigative journalist, as is Seth Wickersham. You may remember that Wickersham wrote a couple of a big piece on on the Seahawks, right? Really got a lot of the information out there. And at the time, people were killing him. This isn't true. This is, you know, fake news, bad journalism, this and that. And then as it turns out, everything he said was basically entirely true, right? And all that stuff kind of came out over time. And uh, after that, I sort of formed a, a friendship with him. He couldn't come on today because he's uh, flying, but he hooked me up with Van Nata. And, you know, I, I recommend reading the piece. It kind of goes through everything that went on with the Dan Snyder emails and the John or rather the John Gruden emails and Dan Snyder and how these two cases are essentially locked into each other and how the NFL has handled it all. It is honestly, it, it reads like an episode of billions. I don't know how else to better describe it. Uh, Don Van Nata joins us right now to talk through it a little bit. Don, thanks for taking a few minutes. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Mike. How are you doing this morning? Well, I'm doing great. I read your piece, and you know, I've read pieces like it before, but every time I do, I, I honestly find myself sort of just blown away and maybe even a little intimidated. I mean, just how how vicious are the people at that level of power, whether it's with the league, whether it's you know owners or the consultants around them? How dangerous is that game? Uh, it's pretty dangerous. It's uh, it's big money. It's the big leagues. Um, we have a phrase in our story, Mike, at the top, describing this situation with the Gruden email leaks as a circular firing squad. And I think that's a really good way to describe all the players in this story, from Roger Goodell and the league office to Dan Snyder and uh, his allies, his legal allies. You have DeMora Smith, the head of the NFL uh, Players Association, involved and there's a lot of finger pointing and yeah it's dangerous the stakes are very very high there's a lot of money at stake obviously with a six billion dollar sale record sale of the commander's franchise uh, uh occurring now and uh it, it, it's it's a high stakes game for sure. I, I read I read through it, and and one of the things that stands out is who leaked the emails. Right, is essentially one of the biggest questions you're trying to answer. And if I read it all right, essentially you've got four or five different sources all pointing in completely different directions and saying it had to be him, it had to be them, it had to be him. Who do you think did it? Well, that's a that's a good way of putting it. Um, I think that we make a very strong circumstantial argument in the story based on a lot of reporting that Seth Wickersham and I did that all of the people pointing fingers might have been involved (laughs) at different stages of the leaks, which is so intriguing, right? The way our reporting uh, pans out, and if you read the story carefully, this idea begins with Dan Snyder and the motive that Dan Snyder had for making the John Gruden email emails public was to try to ingratiate himself with Roger Goodell. He was a few months into uh, basically being sidelined by the league. It was frustrating Snyder. He wanted to get back on the field, get back uh, into his visible role as owner of the commanders after that Beth Wilkinson investigation and the NFL punishment. And so the idea begins with him. And then Reed Smith, a New York law firm that represents Snyder, had actually been involved uh, in this kind of leaking operation before when they represented A-Rod in his lawsuit against Major League Baseball. So we had sources saying the same crew that did that was involved in this. Then you have the CEO of Rock Nation, a woman named Desiree Perez, who is a confidant of Dan and Tanya Snyder. She's also a consultant to the NFL. We had sources 
in legal circles and in the legal office pointing at her, that she was sort of the linchpin of this operation. Now, she denies it through her attorney. I want to point that out. And then finally, you have the league. And these Gruden emails land on Roger Goodell's desk in early October on a Monday or Tuesday. And within 72 hours, they're published by The Wall Street Journal. And we have Demora Smith, the head of the Players Union, bragging to somebody that he was the one that leaked that particular email. What's interesting about that is that email is about him. Gruden using a racist trope to describe Demora Smith, and Smith is bragging that he leaked it. So it's a tangled story, but um, I think we make a pretty strong case, Mike, that almost everybody pointing fingers certainly had the motives to do the leaking. Are you sure this wasn't written by Brian Koppelman? I, I mean, like, I, I hear all of that, and it truly does read like an episode of Billions. It, it's crazy the, just all of the various motivations that everybody has in order to get something like this done. And when I hear you mention the New York law firm, I got to say my mind. And when I when I read it yesterday, the same thing, my mind went right to the uh, PGA live situation. I don't know how much you've read about that, know about that or have even investigated that, because I'm sure there's an unbelievable story to uncover there as well. But I, I was struck in that story by the fact that the two guys on the PGA board who negotiated this deal for the PGA with the Saudis are both, or at least one of them anyway, is is a partner at a huge mergers and acquisitions firm in in New York. How 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 do those law firms work their way and and play a, a role in these types of stories? Well, Reed Smith is a very interesting law firm. Um, it's a it, it's a law firm that represents uh, famous people, powerful people, uh, and they actually uh, represent Dan Snyder uh, in his uh, in his punishment and uh, in, in the Beth Wilkinson investigation and the punishment that he faced with the NFL. We have a chapter in our story about uh, about that that I think is very intriguing. But Reed Smith also represents Rock Nation. Uh, and so there's some crossover there. And, you know, we have uh, sources close to Reed Smith that told us that, in fact, they were talking about it in real time, that they were involved in this leaking operation. Now, a partner there, a man named Jordan Sib, denies on the record in our story that they had anything to do with the leaks or that they were authorized by Dan Snyder. In fact, everybody that I mentioned uh, to you, Mike, has denied uh, or refused to speak to us. Uh, and so I, you know, I want to point that out to your listeners, but, um, but yeah, it's a good question about the law firm and, uh, you know, the live golf, uh, PGA tour situation. I have not dug into that, uh, yet, but it's certainly, uh, an, an area that I'm interested in and maybe down the road, it'd be something I'll look into more closely. Oh man. I'd like to sick you and Seth on that story. Cause I, I, I am, I have just been completely overwhelmed by all the sketchiness there. And, and, and then you read something like this one and it comes out again, talking to Don Van Nott of ESPN. And read the story at ESPN.com uh, if you get a, a few minutes. It really is a, a fascinating look at at the power brokers in the NFL and how all of this how all this goes down. Do you do you ever worry about yourself when you're when you're investigating situations like this? Do you have to make sure that your own you know world is totally clear of of any issues that you could be blackmailed that somebody could come after you? It certainly crosses my mind. Uh, I, I, I mean, it, there's no doubt about that. But I've been doing this kind of work for a long time. Um, I started my career at the Miami Herald, 
way back in the late 80s and um, worked at the New York Times for 16 years as an investigative reporter in Washington and in London and have been at ESPN now for a dozen years. And it, it, it comes with the territory, certainly, Mike. Um, but, you know, my job is to find the truth and just to do everything I can to get the truth out there. I'm, I'm grateful that the network still supports this kind of work that, that Seth and I do and that a number of our other colleagues do, this kind of investigative reporting. Fewer and fewer newspapers are investing in it, mm-hmm. uh, as well as networks. And so we're really, really fortunate to do this kind of work and, and to have it uh, lifted up by, by our bosses. Well, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I guess if I were you, I, A, I'd be concerned about skeletons in my own closet and anything I ever said or did could, you know, be found out or ferreted out by one of these aggressive law firms. And then the fact that ESPN's a partner of the NFL, does it make it tricky to kind of walk that line? It can at times. Um, but as I've often said about this, uh, I've done a lot of stories that have been very, very tough on the National Football League. Um I did a profile of Roger Goodell back in 2013. It actually was published 10 years ago uh, this past spring that was extremely tough on the commissioner. Uh, I know uh, personally that he did not like the profile. Um, I covered uh, the Ray Rice scandal in 2014, which uh, showed that Goodell was not truthful about uh, that particular episode. It was maybe one of the darkest moments of his commissionership. Uh, you know, written about uh, Deflategate and Spygate and all sorts of other scandals and the way the NFL has handled it. Um, the, the network uh, has supported me all the way down the line. And even on this story, there's a lot of bad news in this story for the commissioner and for the NFL. And not once did anybody at the network tap the brakes on anything we were doing. Everything we found out is published in our story that first appeared yesterday on ESPN.com. How do you characterize Roger Goodell? Uh, I think Roger is a master at making the owners money and at protecting the owners from any uh, arrows or slings that will hit them. You know, he often talks about the shield. He is the shield. He's the shield for the NFL ownership, the membership, as they call themselves. Uh, He's a master at that. I think he's also very, very good at communications. Um, He's gotten a lot better at it. He wasn't great during the Ray Rice scandal that I just mentioned and earlier on. But I think he's gotten a lot better at that. Uh, And uh, but the thing he does best is he makes the owners more money. The valuations of the NFL franchises have skyrocketed. Uh, the NFL owners are very pleased with the last two collective bargaining agreements that they struck with the players. And, um, you know, buying an NFL franchise, uh, you're guaranteed your uh, investment to spiral upward. You know, Dan Snyder is about to sell the commanders, the worst run franchise in the NFL. Snyder is arguably the worst owner or one of the worst owners in American sports history. And he's about to sell the commanders last in the league in revenue, a crumbling stadium for $6.05 billion, which is a record in America for a sports franchise. That tells you how good a business the NFL is and the owners, despite not loving Roger on certain issues and even the way he handled has handled the Snyder situation uh the most important metric is he makes them more money how dangerous is somebody like dan snyder to what the what the league is trying to accomplish like how at what point does someone cross the line and go far enough for the league or the other owners to react well with snyder you know as you may know mike last october uh, seth wickersham and tisha thompson my two colleagues uh, at espn and i wrote 
a big story about Snyder, who was basically running around the league telling fellow owners and other people that he had collected dirt on some of his fellow owners, including Jerry Jones, by the way. And, and Jerry is a uh, was a mentor to Snyder for years when he first came into the league. And, he, and Snyder was also saying he was collecting dirt on Roger Goodell and that if he was forced to, he would blow up the entire league. So a question that keeps emerging as we're getting closer and closer to the NFL deciding uh, on the Josh Harris group purchasing uh, the commanders for that $6.05 billion is does Snyder really have dirt or have some information, some compromising information on either the commissioner or on other owners? Because the way you look at the – if you look carefully at the way Goodell has handled Snyder, it's been with kid gloves. On the punishment, uh, after the Beth Wilkinson investigation, our story reported yesterday that Snyder all but dictated the terms of that punishment to the league office. He was even involved in writing phrases or suggesting words for the press release that the NFL put out. Uh, His lawyers were very pleased with how light that punishment was. Um, I did a story in February. I broke a story that Snyder's limited partners, there were three of them. They're all billionaires. They made allegations of serious financial improprieties against Snyder personally. They asked for Goodell to investigate it, and he didn't. He shut down the arbitration proceeding uh, instantly and, and moved to having Snyder buy those three partners out. So there's a question uh, hanging over all of the way the NFL has handled Snyder of why has Goodell protected him again and again and again. I think the patience has run out clearly now, but if you look back at the history, there's been years of it. And the question that has gone unanswered, unfortunately, so far is why. Well, he's going to end this with $6 billion, so I guess the things are going to work out okay for him when it's all said yeah, and done. Will. Don, what a cr- I could sit here and talk to you about this all day. I know you're busy and you got other stuff you got to do. Uh, thank you for taking a few minutes. Uh, we've always enjoyed having Seth on the show, and uh, thanks for uh, doing this as well. It's really, really interesting, man. So stay safe. I-, I hope they don't have any good dirt on you so that you can keep coming up with all these good stories. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Great to talk to you. Enjoy your day. All right, you too. There you go. There's Don Van Nata from ESPN.com. Please do yourself a favor. Read the story without Cecily and my daughter bothering you because it really is a, a, It's fascinating. I, I don't know. Maybe are other people as blown away and interested in this stuff as I am? Like, I, I absolutely can be a conspiracy theory kind of guy at times. Like, I think this reads like a film noir. I don't know how much you know about like what film noir really means. Like, have you ever seen Chinatown? Like, sort of the original famous film noir. Like, it's got all these characteristics of like a like, an, un, like, like corruption at the highest levels that you could never essentially undo, and everyone's always being watched. And like, that's sort of the themes of, of film noir. It, it, it presents a reality that that that's how it goes in the NFL and at the highest levels. So when I when I read a piece like that and you hear about Dan Snyder collecting dirt on everybody, I believe it. Yeah. Right. I mean, that seems to be the new style in politics. Right. That's happened more and more. Maybe it's always been the style in politics, but it's become a lot more open in the last 10 years or so as politicians have openly said, hey, I've got dirt on you, so if you really want to play this game, let's go. I'm happy to say what happened here or happened there or happened here. Like, the the ability to just try to embarrass everybody is is out there and and when there's so much money at stake and these guys are so proud and so concerned with you know 
protecting an image that seems to be entirely made up because in the back they're doing things that that should horrify every man and woman in America, certainly in Dan Snyder's case. And you got to wonder what sort of stuff and dirt he found on the other 20 or 31 owners, plus Goodell and other people than around him. Then you throw in the sketchiness of the highest levels of the New York law firms. Look, maybe I watch too much fiction. I, I will be the <laughs> Look, first to admit, I love shows like Billions. I love shows like, uh, as I said earlier, House of Lies. If you haven't watched um, Goliath, that's another one that, that is right up this alley with law firms in L.A. pretty similar along those lines. Which one? Succession. Yeah, but that's terrible. I tried watching it. It's just awful. And of okay. course, of one course. of the worst shows I've ever I, like. I couldn't, okay, I couldn't I mean, get through more than five popular, episodes. So a, lot, a lot of people like it. it. I, this was before everybody liked <laughs> it. It's just bad. Anyway, the, the 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 New York law firm or an LA law firm, as it goes in uh, in in Goliath, the amount of knowledge and power that those firms end up accumulating and using and then strategizing. I got a couple of friends who are lawyers in New York, not at that level, but yeah, I, I really believe that, that that stuff is sketchy beyond anything we could really imagine. I don't think it ha- it has to be that much of a stretch. Like when they, when they were taking Tom Brady to court over Deflategate, they hired Whoever I can't remember who it was that put together that huge pamphlet. They hired some famous lawyer, but he had fought big to or like for big tobacco before. Of course. And then, you know, he's talking about this Desiree person that works for Rock Nation that helped uh, A-Rod try to get some dirt on Rob Manfred during mm-hmm. his I mean, I don't think you I don't think it's conspiracy theories. I think they are. That's just the strategy they use, right? Like wet- some dirt on each other to get whatever they need done because there's a lot of money involved here. When in doubt, go aggressive. That that seems to yeah, be the strategy, yeah. right? Rather than trying to defend yourself in public, be aggressive and try to force everybody else to bend to your will. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and it's, it's like every layer you peel back, you expose more and you right. learn more. And then it's like at some point, this is for me, and I realize you love it because it's – it, you probably some of your background too of like being in politics. You've mm-hmm. got to get a taste of it. And you know how real it is, and you know how fascinating it can be. For me, it's like uh, the sports. I I like sports to be the shiny thing right. that I'm allowed to like put on the shelf that's separate from real life. Yeah, everybody would kind of like that. I Everyone guess what would, I do, but Justin, I know that's not real reality. I, I don't know if it helps or not. But what I what I like to do is I separate that stuff out from watching sports. Like to me, they're two the different things. The final product is different than the pr- yeah. the, the production of it. Absolutely, like yeah. the fi- the product that we watch on the field, the court, the ice, whatever. To me, is is totally separate. And when I'm watching it, I don't think about what the owner is doing behind the scenes or to cover stuff up. I mean, God, remember we went through. I forget who wrote the other story. Now it's been a year. Remember the story more about you know what was going on at the Dan Snyder like resort house in Colorado. I yeah. mean, like. The things that went on there are there absolutely filthy. That had to go like hide out in the basement yes. because uh, the men had hi- brought prostitutes over at a work event. It's <laughs> true. Like you hear she that. Was like I feel really uncomfortable. I'm going to go hide. Yeah, I'll just be in the basement. You guys have fun with the oh, hookers. Everything else like, is fine. It's all good. I'll just be in the basement. Don't worry about it. I got earplugs. Like I'll be it, fine. It also, it also feels like. What are we doing? For for um, people who are following this and maybe who are younger, it's like this is trying to catch up to a show that's episode started in the eighties before they were covering it. So it's like how right. how far do you get back to to the source of any of these? It's impossible to catch up. Yes. So I try to you're you're, you're both of you hundred percent right. So I I do I try to separate that out 
from actually the product on the field. And to me, they're almost two completely different conversations and parts of my brain. And I'm super interested in both. Like, I'm very interested in how the commanders are going to be this year and who their quarterback's going to be and what that's going to look like. And I'm interested in the craziness behind their sale and getting rid of a guy like Dan Snyder, who is a scourge on this league. And Van Nott is absolutely right. Goodell protected him or at least handled him with kid gloves for years. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that over and over again. Now, some of that to me has always come down to the fact that Goodell has tried really hard to punt or hide on any issue of domestic violence or... I don't know what you would sexual harassment, whatever you would call the entire workplace issues that were going on in Washington. I think Goodell's got a terrible record on that. Terrible. He mentions the Ray Rice situation. It starts there, but it doesn't end there. That's just a great example of it. I think Goodell of making a decision that's not strong enough. And then when the public outcry gets loud enough, he tries to backtrack. It's exactly right. So I, I, I think that is a pattern. That's not like one mistake. It's a pattern that suggests to me that either it's an issue he thinks doesn't matter or it's an issue that is so rampant across the NFL community that the only thing he can do is to try to minimize it because otherwise there'd be nobody left in his league. I don't know what it is. I don't know which it is. And I don't know whether Goodell's at fault and whether it's his own personal beliefs or whether that's what he has to do because of the position he's in and the way he's maybe he's worked. Maybe Goodell's working hard behind the scenes to try to eliminate that stuff from the NFL. But there's only so much he can do publicly. I don't know. I guess that would be giving him the benefit of the doubt. The professor certainly loved the guy. And spoke of him and glowingly. And every time I would bring this stuff up, John would shout me down. So maybe maybe Goodell's the um, good guy in this story. You know, I love the professor dearly. I worked with him for years. But he also loved, like, Adam Pacman Jones because he was nice to him. That's true. He has a, a very... Um a sketchy history, but I, I, <laughs> but, I don't know what the John was very much like. If I don't have an issue with you personally and you were good to me, then I, then I like you. So that doesn't mean that so Goodell maybe it was doesn't that have simple. his own issues. Maybe it was as simple <laughs> as that. Or, or maybe John knew, maybe, maybe Goodell's the good guy in this story and he's working really hard behind the scenes and he's willing to take the bullets publicly. Sometimes what we get publicly is certainly not the exact story of what's going on behind the scenes. I don't know, but do yourself a favor. If you've got, you know, 10, 15 minutes serious, I know I said an hour and a half earlier. If you got 10, 10 minutes today, read the story. It is fascinating. And if you like television, you like some of the, the you know, behind the scenes stuff, that's basically what this is. And for it, those it, who just tuned in, where's the story? Uh, ESPN.com, Don Van Nata and Seth Wickersham story on Dan Snyder, the John Gruden emails and Roger Goodell. It is uh, worth a few minutes. All right. Coming up next, we'll move on past that. Thanks to uh, for Don, uh, to Don for joining us. If you missed it, go uh, go listen to that at, uh, at seattlesports.com or wherever you get your podcast. The Mariners have been given a grade, and it's dead on accurate. It's next. Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710, salesports.com.